Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. All right, well, go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. I've been um, going through Hebrews, a series I've entitled, Jesus Makes Everything Better. I love that last song that we did, the throne room song. That really relates to um, some of my message tonight about Jesus being our great high priest, the forerunner um, before us, before many who can now enter that throne room. Um, So let's start here in Hebrews 6, verse 10. And uh, man, this is powerful here. I'm glad I stopped when I did last week so I could take a little time here with the rest of Hebrews 6. Uh, But this is my point that I'm going to start off with here on this um, second half of Hebrews 6 is that it takes faith and patience. Patience is kind of the the dark side of the the moon. People don't want to talk about it, think about it, but really... It's, it's two sides of the same coin. You can't have faith without patience. It takes faith and patience. You know, Abraham had faith and patience. I kind of wish in Hebrews 11, he would have said, by, by faith and patience, Abraham. By faith and patience, Noah. By faith and patience, Sarah. Sarah had to have a lot of faith and patience. Heather knows it takes a lot of faith and patience being married to me. It takes faith and pain. You know, Noah just didn't build the ark overnight. I think in our, in our culture today, we just want everything to happen instantly. You want your groceries just to be delivered instantly at your doorstep. You want food to be delivered instantly at your, you just want, it's, it's part of the culture today, just instant gratification, instant success, instant fame, instant riches, instant, but that's not how it works in the kingdom. It takes faith and patience, amen? So let's look here at Hebrews 6, Verse 10, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. I love that. God is not unjust to forget. God does not forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown to his name. You know, there's a lot of things that you're called to do that you are not going to get recognition for. You know, Heather, all the work that Heather has done for our children all the dirty diapers, all the messes she's cleaned up, all the tantrums she's dealt with, all the dirty clothes, all the tears, all the blood, all the sweat. She, she, she hasn't received a trophy yet. She hasn't received a plaque yet. I, I'm sorry, I, I'm, I need to get a plaque to her. I need to get a trophy to her. But for a, a lot of the things that God has called us to do, on earth you aren't going to get proper recognition, but God does not forget it. And if God is your reward, or if you're not looking for your reward from your spouse, from your boss, from society, from your pastor, if God, if you, know, if you trust God enough to be the one who sees you, who does not forget you, who recognizes you, who rewards you, God is, is a much greater rewarder. You know, I, I try to honor, I try to recognize, I try to esteem my wife as much as I can, but I'm not always going to do as good of a job as God can do. So even if I might be falling short, God, God sees Heather and what she's doing, what she's called to do. You know, on Mother's Day, I, I, I um, the day before I, I got a stomach virus, I woke up Sunday morning, I was going to try to just imitate those who through faith and patience, I was going to just get up and dance Smith, Smith Wigglesworth, you know, I was going to imitate Smith Wigglesworth and just dance on the devil's head. As soon as I got out of bed, I started throwing up. So Heather, I, I could not really celebrate Heather on Mother's Day. She had to do everything. 
I just laid in bed all day on Mother's Day. But, you know, God sees her. God rewards her. God recognizes her. Amen? Even though I physically wasn't able to do much that day. God is not going to forget. Amen? Everything that you've done toward his name in that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. We're all called to minister to the saints. We're all called to minister to one another. Verse 11, and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence. So it's saying it takes diligence to do what God's called us to do. To, to, to really be, be a minister, it's going to take diligence. One thing I've learned from my parents who've now been in ministry for 40 years or so is that it takes, it takes diligence. Things don't just happen overnight. It takes work. It's the work of the ministry. You know, I, I, I love getting to oversee the, the worship ministry. You know, music, it, it doesn't just come together like that. It takes work. You know, the, the music team, they, they get together, they practice every Thursday, they, they come here early every service, Sundays at 7 a.m., Wednesdays at 5.30, they, they have to practice on their own, they get the music weeks in advance. Uh, many, many people have practiced for years and years. It takes work. Things don't just happen. If, if you think you can just show up and, by faith, I'm going to play the electric guitar tonight. Pastor Aaron, God has called me to be your new electric guitar player. I've never played it before, but I'm doing it tonight. You are missing the other side of that coin in a big way. Faith and patience. The best things in life take times to develop. The best relationships, the best skills, the best knowledge, the best revelation, the best ministry. It, it all takes time. It just doesn't happen. It takes diligence. Show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those. I love that. Don't become sluggish. Every now and then, you're going to have to stir yourself up. If you're looking for inspiration from other people, you're not always going to feel inspired. If you're looking, man, I, I'm, I just, if Pastor Aaron does not inspire me tonight, then I'm not going to be inspired. I'm going to blame it on him. If I, if I become sluggish, then it's all Pastor Aaron's fault because he preached a boring message on Hebrews and, no, it's, it's not up to other people. It's not up to your spouse to inspire you. It's not up to your boss. It's not up to Pastor Lawson. It's not up to... You, you, it, you have the Holy Spirit that the breathe into you. What more do you need for inspiration than that? The same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. If you're looking for inspiration outside of that, stir yourself up. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. That's really good. So don't become sluggish. I love this, but imitate. Say imitate. So you don't, you don't even have to figure out how to do faith and patience on your own. You can just find someone who's done it and just copy them. There, 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 are, there is no copyright to the Bible. It's, it's public domain. Does that make sense? You, you can just copy any, any person in the Bible. You can copy anyone who is living the life by faith and just copy them. You know, as a musician, I, I learned that the best way to learn is not to try to figure out how to do it on my own, try to figure out how to learn the flute. There's other people who, who've done it better than me before. And if they can do it better than me, I just need to copy what they do. There's a great, a great quote. Um, a famous composer, Igor Stravinsky, said it. He actually stole this quote apparently, 
from Picasso, but great artists don't borrow, they steal. You don't have to, to find brand new revelation. You can just steal someone's revelation. It's God's revelation. Does that make sense? Just imitate. You know, children learn by imitation. I just realized that. This is, this is a good thing and a bad thing. Some of you are laughing like, oh, we know this is a bad thing for Pastor Aaron. Whatever his kids are imitating. You know, I, I, uh, we have this little push car thing with pedals on it. It's a, green, it's a little too big for Ada. It's Fisher's. It kind of fits Fisher. I put Ada on it this morning, early this morning, and was pushing around, and she grabbed the wheel, and she, she's never driven a car before, never had any kind of car toy like this before, never had a wheel, and, and she's just grabbing the wheel, and she was going, eh, 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 beep, 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 eh, eh. she was imitating her mother. And Heather, no, Ada just follows Heather around everywhere. Just, just, just yesterday, Heather had these you know, fancy high heels out, and Ada, with her tiny little feet, was trying to put them in the high heels and, and, and shuffle around in the house and kept falling over, just like her mama falls over sometimes <laughs> in her high heels, especially during worship. Heather just told me during worship that, that one of our musicians said, last week I thought you were like doing a jig, but she was just trying to get her shoes off so she could dance more freely during worship. So <laughs> Imitate. So you, you don't have to be that smart. This is the nice thing. The just shall live by faith doesn't say that the smart people will live by faith. The, the, anyone can live by faith. And if you don't know how to do it, if you don't feel like you're smart enough, don't feel like you're wise enough, don't feel like you're old enough, all you got to do is just find someone who, who's doing it and just copy them. Imitate those who through faith and, and say, and patience. You can't forget patience. Inherit the promises. God wants you to inherit the promises, but it takes faith and patience. Amen? Amen. Right, let's go on here to verse 13. I like that right away he says, hey, look at this example. Abraham is a great example of faith and patience. For when God made a promise to Abraham, so he's saying we're going to look at Abraham now as an example of faith and patience. We're going to see why his faith, why his patience worked, and he was able to inherit the promise. Because God, and I love, I love right when he starts talking about the faith of Abraham, immediately he starts talking about God's grace. You cannot have faith without God's grace. Grace happens first. Your faith is not going to work without a big revelation of God's grace, a big revelation of how powerful his promise is. Some people think, man, if, if I work, if I, if I toil, if I don't become sluggish, if I, then, then that's, then God's going to move. No, God, God's already made the promise, and the promise is so great that it says that he couldn't, this promise was so huge when God makes a promise, even this promise to Abraham, it said he could swear by no one greater, so he swore by himself. God made this promise, and he wanted to make it super profound. This promise is super, God, all of God's promises are incredibly powerful. That's what we need to have established in our heart. God, when God promises something, it's not like a politician who promises something. Thank God. If your hope is in a political party, I don't care which one it is, you're going to be disappointed. 
I don't care who you voted for for mayor, you're, you're going to be disappointed. You either already are disappointed or, or soon after you're going to be disappointed. I, I've been disappointed in about every single politician that I've ever come across. This is how powerful this promise is that he made to Amy. Surely blessing, I will bless you. This blessing that I have for you, I'm going to bless you. In the Hebrew there in Genesis 22, it's, it, the, the word blessing is reiterated. In Hebrew, there's a special grammatical thing. Whenever you, you use a, a word twice in a row, it, it, like, it, it, mean, it, it strengthens the impact of that word. God is saying, this blessing that I have for you, I'm going to attach my own personal pronoun to it. It's, it's a double, it's, it's, there, there could be no stronger language in, in the Hebrew. It, it's like the, the, the two words, Barak, just doubly attached together. It, it's the most impactful way you can speak a word is by doubling it. It's something special in the, in the Hebrew language. So God is saying, blessing, I'm going to bless you. Multiplying, I'm going to multiply you. God is saying, I, I, am such, I am such a blesser, I'm going to bless you with everything I have. I'm such a multi, God is a multiplier. I'm sorry if the message of increase, the message of multiplication offends you, but it is God's essence, and it is a promise that he made to the father of faith, to an example of someone we are to imitate. This promise is still available to us today. The promises of blessing, the promises of multiplication are still available to us today. God is a multiplier. Jesus was a multiplier. He said, give me those five, five loaves and those two fish. And watch, watch what happens when I bless it. Blessing, I'm going to bless it. Multiplying, I'm going to multiply it. Jesus said, I, I have to go. I have to go back to the Father because if I didn't, man, wait, wait to see, wait to see what happens when the Spirit comes, when my Spirit comes and is multiplied in you. You thought you saw great works done through me? Greater works are going to happen. There's going to be increase. There's going to be multiplication. I'm not done yet. Jesus is not done yet. If he did it once, he can do it again. Verse 15. And so after he had, say, patiently, patiently, there's that word again. A lot of people don't like that word. Man, keep trusting God. Keep, just, just don't, give up, keep trusting God, keep enduring, keep, how, how do you endure? You keep trusting God, you keep trusting his promise, keep trusting the Bible. No matter what, what challenges you face, no matter what hurts you've endured, no matter what mistakes you've made yourself, keep trusting God. He's always going to work out things better than you can even possibly think or imagine. Don't give up. That's the only way you can lose is by giving up. He had patiently endured. He obtained the promise. Verse 16, for men indeed swear by the greater. 
and an oath for confirmation is for them an end of all dispute. Thus God determining to show more abundantly, say more abundantly. He wants to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope, say this hope, we have as an anchor of the soul, say anchor of the soul. The soul can drift, the soul can sway, the soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. The soul, the soul can, can be shifted, right? It can be shifted by the waves. You can feel, you can feel, you can feel nauseated sometimes. You know, some people get, get in a boat and they, they, they really feel those waves. Sunday morning, I was really feeling those waves, Peace, be still. I had to have a little patience attached to my faith. It wasn't quite as instant as I was hoping for. But we have, we have an anchor. You know, the thing about an anchor, the, an anchor has to be attached to something. You want your anchor to be attached to something that is secure. What is the anchor of our soul? The anchor of our soul is the word of God. It is his promise. It is that thing that cannot be changed. It is Jesus Christ himself. He is both the promise giver and the promise himself. Anchor your soul to Jesus. Anchor your soul to the word. Say, no matter what, I'm going to hold on to Jesus. No matter what, I'm going to hold on to the word. I don't care how... how how rocky this boat feels. I don't care what's going on around me. Right now, I'm going to take my anchor, and it's going to anchor steadfast to Jesus. And there is no devil in hell. There is no storm on this earth that can, can, can take you away. You will not be moved. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul. I love, I love how in Scripture it says that we are prisoners of hope. That, that is profound. You cannot, I, I have a lifetime sentence to the prison of hope. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind. I love this. When, you're, when your hope, when your anchor is anchored in Jesus, it's anchored in the word of God. Where is Jesus? He is, he is at the right hand of the Father. He is in the very throne room of God. When you're anchored to Jesus, when you're anchored to the word of God, whenever you need help, whenever you need to cry out, when you, you go, your, your prayers, your heart, your soul, it goes straight to the throne room. It goes right behind the veil. Verse 20, I was just thinking about this verse when we were singing that throne room song. The veil was torn. And I, I believe when Jesus died, when he, when he gave his last breath, he said, it is finished. The ground shook. The, the, the veil was torn in two. That, that temple veil, it was 40 feet tall. It was as tall as, as this roof is down to the floor. Just layer upon layer upon layer of fabric thick, about, about a cubit, about that, about a half meter thick. 
of several fabrics just sewed together. 40 feet, four stories just, just ripped in two. Jesus, Jesus, it didn't take Jesus three days to conquer the devil. It, it, it was, he, it, Satan was instantly conquered. That, that is how powerful Jesus is. That is how powerful our authority is in Jesus. I am not scared of any devil in hell. You know, a, a while back, um, where was some, some Satanist person was spouting off on Facebook about political stuff, about school stuff? On Facebook, I don't know. There's a bunch of like Satanists in Carter Springs now trying to go to school board meetings and things like this. And, and uh, I think he's the head of, yeah, the Democratic um, National Committee. He's, no, no, or the, the Democratic Committee here in El Paso County. And um, he's actually called out our church as someone to watch out for. <laughs> Hey, here, here's, here's a good um, clue for voting. If Satanists are voting for someone, you should probably vote for the other guy. <laughs> I generally don't want to go in the same direction that Satanists are going, especially that eternal direction. So don't. But anyways, Heather kind of said, I, I don't know, God gave you a word for, for that person but just about the victory that we have in Jesus. And um, as we went to, to baseball practice at Fisherhead, he, he plays on the community baseball team. And Heather thought she saw that dude. She thought he was like one of the dads. She's like, it's a little awkward. Bring it on. <laughs> so, it wasn't. It wasn't him. Lucky for him. He might have been delivered that day. <clears throat> In an instant, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. All right, let's go on into chapter 7 now. And this is my first point here, and this is really profound. Jesus is our priest and king. Say priest, priest. and king. In, 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 in the kingdom of heaven, there is no separation now of church and state. In the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, there was. You know, the, the, the kings of Israel could not do, do the priestly duties. When they tried to do it, it got them in trouble. Saul tried to do that. He, he got filled with pride. He's like, well, Samuel's not around. I'm just going to offer up my own sacrifice. I'm going to build my own altar. I'm going to hear God's voice myself and tell everyone what to do. I'm going to give them the voice of the Lord. He lost his kingship because of it. There was, a, there was a strong separation between a division of powers, right? Just like today in, in our federal government, there's a division of powers. There's an executive branch, a legislative branch, a judiciary branch, right? There's a separation of power. In, in, the old, in, in Israel, there's a separation of powers between priest and king. But Melchizedek came before that, and he was someone who was both a priest and a king. 
And he's a type of Jesus, where, where Jesus is also both a priest and a king. That means he has full authority. He has full power. He has full dominion. He has full, there, there is no one that can veto Jesus. Does that make sense? Like we know about veto, the power of veto here, how, how one branch of government can veto another branch of government. And, and if another branch gets powerful enough, then they can override a veto. And no one can override the word of Jesus. He is both priest and king. Jesus is our priest and king. Chapter 7, verse 1, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. Melchizedek means my righteous king. In Hebrew, it's, it's my... Maki means my king of righteousness, Zedek. My king of righteousness, my king. Say, Jesus, you are my king. My king of righteousness. And then also the king of Salem, meaning the king of peace. And I actually love this, this blessing. When, when Melchizedek came out and met, Melchizedek was carrying the, the bread and wine. And he was, he was in Salem, in, in the mountains of Moriah, where modern-day Jerusalem is today. He's either a type of Christ or a pre-incarnate form of Christ. You can debate with your closest theologian, you know, after service on what you think Melchizedek was. Verse 3 is, is interpreted either way concerning Melchizedek. But, but when Melchizedek blessed him, he blessed him with, with the greatest blessing, the blessing of the Most High God. He said, Abram, you are blessed by the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Man, several years ago when I read that, I was, I was going through a rather turbulent time in my life. I, I, um, I just finished my master's degree. I was about 24 years old. I um, just broke up with a very serious relationship. I had been engaged dating this girl for four years, had broken up. I thought I would have a job, but I was unemployed. I was sleeping on an air mattress, just barely able to survive. And I was reading that, and that, that, that blessing just pierced my heart. And God said, Aaron, you are blessed. You are blessed by the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. And even though I, I didn't have any money in my bank account, I didn't have anything happening relationally, I didn't have anything happening with my career, I, I knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was blessed by the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. That became revelation to me. And it wasn't long before that that my life turned around. And it's been going in a direction of blessing and multiplication and increase. But I had to have that revelation that I am blessed by the Most High God. That is not dependent upon anything else, but it's only dependent upon the word of God. Does that make sense? It's not dependent upon who likes you or who doesn't like you. It's not dependent upon how much money you have in your bank account. It's not dependent upon what kind of job you have. It's not dependent upon who, who you know, wins whatever political office. 
whatever laws get passed or don't get passed, the blessing of the Lord, it's only dependent upon, man, God said, in blessing, I will bless you, and in multiplication, I will multiply you. Is God's word enough for you? And I, I, love, I love that story, too, because it's the first time we see the tithe. And there's something really profound about this, this story because the blessing came first. If you read in Genesis 14, Melchizedek blessed him, then Abraham gave a tithe. Some, I, I, I disagree with this thought that like you, you, you give in order to get the blessing. You are blessed, and because you agree with that blessing, you, you, you then give. Does that make sense? So I, I'm looking at a room full of blessed people. Amen. And the powerful thing about a tithe is just a percentage. So the, at that time, they, they, I might have made $500 a month. But I, would, I, I was blessed, so I'm going to tithe $50. $50. It wasn't long after that that God multiplied my tithe. Say multiply. multiply. I believe that God's going to multiply this church. Multiply what he's doing here. Verse 3, with without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. So he's saying Melchizedek, his, his priestly order, Melchizedek wasn't voted in, he wasn't voted out. He was a continual priest. Jesus can't be voted in, he can't be voted out. The way he was made a priest was different than the, the, the way that Pastor Aaron was made a priest. You know, I, I, was, I was ordained by, by, by this ministry, by another ministry. I, I, my dad approached you know, his advisory board here at this church. They agreed that I, I, I could step into this role as a, as a full-time pastor. People laid hands on me. They prayed over me. They ordained me. Jesus didn't have to have a church board or a Bible school give him a degree. He received the highest appointment. Now, that appointment actually came when he was resurrected, when he ascended into heaven. The Father said, sit right here. This is the throne for the high priest, the eternal high priest. God himself made an oath to Jesus. So let's look here at verse 4. Now consider how great this man was, Melchizedek, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of the spoils. And indeed, those who are of the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham." But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham. 
and blessed him who had the promises. So saying he whose genealogy is not derived, so Melchizedek received tithes from Abraham, blessed him, blessed Abraham who had the promises. So Melchizedek blessed Abraham. Now beyond all, I love this verse, now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. You can, you can bless God. When you, when you worship God, it blesses him. When you serve people, when you minister to people, when you use the giftings, when, when you don't become sluggish, when you keep doing what he's called you to do, that blesses God. When you give, when you tithe, that blesses God. But God is greater than you. So whatever you give, you cannot outgive God. He's always going to give more than you give. Whenever you've blessed God, you cannot outbless God. He's always going to outbless you. Abraham, I guarantee that was his testimony. I, that tithe I gave, God outgave me. That, that blessing I gave, that God, God outblessed me. The lesser is always blessed by the better. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. I believe that when you give into a life-giving, spirit-filled church, that you're giving to Jesus. Jesus, you, you are, this, this is the, the bride of Christ. The church is the best thing that has ever happened to the world. I'm so thankful for the church. I'm so thankful for the global body of believers. I'm so thankful for local church bodies like this. I love the local church because Jesus loves the local church. The, the local church is, is the, this, this is the thing that is holding our country together. You want to do something big for the kingdom? Get involved in a local church. You want to do something big for our country, big for families, big for society, big for the future? Get plugged into a local church. Don't, don't think it as a trivial thing, as a light thing. This is it. Just hypothetically think it, it just every local church just disappeared. That's what's going to happen when the rapture occurs. Think about, about the condition of the world and the trajectory of the world at that point. I believe that when we give, when we, when we, when we tithe at a local church, Jesus receives it. Verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. I love that. So a, Levi was a descendant of Abraham. He is in the lineage of, of Abraham. So when Abraham gave to Melchizedek, in essence, Isaac was giving to Melchizedek. Jacob was giving to When, when you get, there's something powerful about the tithe. There's something powerful about consistent, purposeful giving. And it doesn't just impact you, it impacts generations after you. I know part of the reason why I am blessed, part of the reason why my brother Andrew, my brother Peter are all blessed, it's because of something that my parents have done before us. We, we, we were able to, to start with a greater momentum than they had. And part of it's because of their, their commitment to, to Jesus. 
their commitment to following him, their commitment to, be, to being givers. Amen? I know that, that when my wife and I give, it doesn't just impact us. It impacts Fisher and Ada. That they, they have a certain amount of momentum going on in their life. Amen? Verse 10, it said that he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? So he's saying if, the, if, the, if you guys love the Levitical priesthood so much, he's saying that there were problems with that priesthood. That's why there had to be a change. One thing I'm grateful about the political system in this country is that, that um, it involves change. Things need to be changed. It's the same reason why Ada's diaper needs to be changed. <laughs> the same thing with the Levitical priesthood. He was saying that there was a lot of dirty diapers with that priesthood. Just, just look at it. You know, Aaron had four sons. How many of them worked out? Two, 50%. In school, 50% is a failing grade. How many politicians work out? Probably less than 50%. But at least there's some change involved here, right? But he's saying that there, don't, don't, Man, there is something much better. Jesus makes everything better. Jesus is our high priest. And, and according to, to the Levitical priesthood, according to the law of Moses, at least these priests would die. If you got a bad high priest, at least they would die. Death and taxes. There'd be, just wait till they die and you can move on to the next one. We have something so much better. Do you know why we had to have a, a better priest? It's because we have a better covenant. I actually, I actually love the old covenant. I love, I love the promises throughout the Old Testament. And those promises, the blessings, the multiplication, the, 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 the laws of faith, they, they don't just go away. The, those blessings remain for us today. That's why he's talking about Abraham still in the, in the New Testament. The blessings that come with the tithe don't just go away. Say it, it just doesn't go away. Tithing is not a bad thing. Amen? Amen. That's why my dad taught me to tithe when, when I, I made my first 50 cents picking up pop cans. Said Aaron, you, you, here you made five dollars picking up pop cans, ten percent, fifty cents. He taught me, Andrew, and Peter. When he gets around his grandchildren, he tries to teach them about finances. You give, you save, and you live off the rest. Money is for giving, money is for saving, and money is for spending. 
His grandchildren know that. He tra- that's, one, that's one of the primary things he tries to teach, teach us. He's try- and my, my father tries to teach good things to me. He tries to teach good things to his grandkids. There is a, a better covenant, so because we have a better covenant, it requires a better priest. And I love this. Our covenant now, it is not just a better covenant, it is actually the perfect covenant. I know that the covenant that we now have as New Testament believers, as a new covenant, the covenant we now have, it's not just better, it is perfect. And I know that our covenant is perfect because it is a reflection of the priest. Our priest isn't just better, he is the perfect priest. And our covenant now, it's not going to fade away. The covenant that we're under now, it's an eternal covenant because our priest is an eternal priest. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the lamb is never going to cease. Jesus Christ is eternally going to have nail prints in his hands. Eternally. The shedding of his blood, it was an eternal sacrifice. Does that make sense? So our covenant that we have, it doesn't, it doesn't go away when we go to heaven. It doesn't go away when Jesus comes again. It doesn't go away during the rapture. It doesn't go away. This is an eternal covenant with an eternal priest. And it, it, is, it is the perfect covenant, amen, because it, it is established upon Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who's done it. He's the one who's fulfilled it. He's the one who's settled it. It's not about you. It's not about what you can do. It's not about your goodness. It's not about your success. It's not about your, it's all about him. It's all about what he did at the cross. It's not about your sacrifice, what you can do, what you can accomplish. It's all about what he has done at the cross. That's never going to go away. Verse 13. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident if, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of of an endless life, say an endless life. For he testifies, and this is a powerful psalm, Psalm 110, verse 4, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weaknesses and unprofitableness. So the, in the old covenant, there were weaknesses attached to it. Why were, why were there weaknesses with the Levitical priesthood? Because the, the, there were people involved with that priesthood. Hophni and Phineas had issues. They, they, they saw the fire of God fall, and then they thought, ooh, look at what I can do. I want to make my own fire. They were deceitful. They were... I think they were trying to to trick people. 
There, there, there are problems with the Levitical priesthood because people were involved. This priesthood, according to the order of Melchizedek, which Jesus is a part of, there, there's not a problem with it because Jesus is the only priest. And thank God, there are no problems with Jesus. Jesus needs to be your anchor. Some may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, some may trust in... You have to trust in Jesus alone, amen? Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect. I love that. It said it really made nothing perfect. I personally think that, that Paul wrote Hebrews. Again, you can debate that with your favorite theologian later on tonight. Paul realized that the, the law can make nothing perfect, even if you kept the law perfectly, which he said he did. It will not make you perfect. On the other hand, there is the bringer in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, I love this, that he wasn't just made priest by a church board vote, by, you know, getting higher than 60% on all of his Bible school tests. I don't know what you have to do to pass Bible college. Jesus was made priest with an oath. Say there, there was an oath involved. For they have become priests without an oath. So all, all the Levitical priesthood, they became priests without an oath. But he with an oath by him who said to him, I love that he goes back to Psalm 110 verse 4, but he adds a phrase right before. The Lord has sworn. Say, the Lord has sworn. The Lord Almighty, Lord Yahweh, all caps, the eternal self-existent one, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. He's not going to go back from this. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Say a surety. You can look this up if you want later, but that word surety, it's the only time this Greek word is used in the New Testament. A surety. To, to, he, he is the one who is... All, all this covenant hinges upon Jesus. The root of that word for surety, it means a, like a limb. You know, once people, like we have a saying, you can go out on a limb. If you think Jesus is not enough... It's like taking a, a saw and cutting the limb off from underneath you. Everything that we have as believe, all, all of our hope, all of our faith, all everything hinges upon Jesus and upon his word. Everything. If you, if you try to dilute Jesus, if you try to dilute the word, it's like, it's like just taking a saw. And just, just that, that's why so many so-called believers are just free-falling, spinning, they have no anchor. What's their theology going to be next week? What's their denomination's theology going to be next week? Just roll the dice. We don't know. Jesus, it, he is... A surety of a better, you can have nothing better than Jesus. You can have nothing better than the word of God. 
There is nothing better. Your ways are not better than his ways. Your thoughts are not better than his thoughts. Your morals are not better than his morals. Your righteousness is not better than his righteousness. I don't care how many people vote a certain way or think a certain way about a certain issue. If God says it, that settles it. You don't get a vote on truth. You're going to die one day and you're going to face the truth. Hopefully you have a good limb to stand on. Well, God, I was just going with the flow. Just everyone at the school I went to thought this was okay. The president thought was, this was okay. My country thought this was okay. People on Facebook thought this was okay. On cross Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I think all other ground is worse than sinking sand. Falling. Free falling. He is a surety of a better covenant. Verse 23, Jesus says, say this with me, Jesus saves us. Jesus saves. He doesn't just save though. Jesus saves us to the uttermost. Say, to the uttermost. Some people are worried about their salvation. Am I really saved? Did I commit the unpardonable sin? Did I fall out? Did I? If you're even having those thoughts, you don't need to be worried about those thoughts. Those are not thoughts from God. God can correct you. God can lead you. God can steer you back. But, but your, your salvation, it, it is a sure thing. If you've placed your hope on Jesus, that is a sure hope. Because when he saves, he saves to the uttermost. Amen? Amen. Verse 23, also, there, may, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. I believe because the priesthood is unchangeable, this covenant, the new covenant, the blood covenant of Jesus is unchangeable. Every promise is available to us through faith in Jesus. That will never change. All the promises are available to us through faith in Jesus. An unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost. Those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus was not just a priest for the first century church. And after that, he said, well, I'm going to take my power, I'm going to take my priesthood, I'm going to take my sacrifice, and you guys just do it on your own. He is still alive today. His purpose still remains the same today. His purpose as our great high priest still remains the same today. When God made an oath and said, you are now high priest, sit at my right hand. Jesus, Jesus made, began making intercession for everyone who believed in him. 
for everyone who called upon his name. Everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved because he is ever living to make intercession for them. Jesus is right now making intercession for you. If you you say, Jesus, help me, you are right there in the very throne room of God. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy. Say, he is holy. He is harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, has become higher than the heavens. I love this. Verse 27. He does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for all the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Abraham made a gift that that satisfied the debt for many generations. When Jesus made his gift, when he made his sacrifice, that paid the debt. Say, paid the debt for every generation. I'm not worried about the curse. Theologically, I hate it when anyone says that if you don't do this, you're cursed. There's only one way you can be cursed. That is to reject Jesus. There's only one way to be blessed. That is to put faith in Jesus. Jesus Christ became a curse for me. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. Jesus became a curse for me. I'm not worried about the curse. I know that I am redeemed from the curse. Jesus paid for all the curse of the law. He did this once for all. Jesus' debt, Jesus' sacrifice paid the debt for every generation. Verse 28, for the law appoints as high priests men who have weaknesses, but the word of the oath which came after the law appoints the son who has been perfected forever. Say, Jesus has been perfected forever. So this is my conclusion. Whenever you need help, look to Jesus. He is our eternal priest. He ever lives to make intercession for us. He won't let you down. Keep living for him, keep trusting him, keep trusting his word, it will never fail. Amen, amen. Awesome, all right, here's Heather. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.